Like, we can be mad at each other. We can be imperfect. We can even go to bed mad, but I'm not going anywhere. So, because family doesn't leave. So whether we figure this out now or in two days from now, it's okay. Cause like, I'm here no matter what. And that was something I had to learn cause I didn't have that framework. What's up everybody? Welcome back to Couple Things. With Sean and Andrew. A podcast all about couples. And the things they go through. Today might be my favorite interview we have ever done. Why is that, babe? Because we got to interview Josh Peck and he was shockingly so wise and had so much incredible things to say that is wasn't it, proper is, English. Is that an uh, underhanded compliment? A shockingly wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows him from Drake and Josh, which I feel like as his character within that show, you remember just like a childhood actor. Mm -hmm. So you don't realize that within this interview, he has gone through so many incredible things and very challenging things and come out to be a very wise, very smart, very incredible human being. I was really impressed with Josh myself. I don't know what my expectations were going in, but the reason we sat down with Josh is because he just came out with a book called Happy People Are Annoying. So we talk about that. We talk about his approach to marriage and parenting, and I think you'll hear that he has a lot of good things to say. Also, for this episode, we tried out a different format where it's more of a produced, structured conversation uh, as opposed to our normal, just let the cameras run and uh, see where it goes. So let us know what you think of that. And before we jump into it, please, if you haven't, subscribe to the show and give it a rating. And without further ado, let's jump into it with Josh Peck. So we sat down with Josh and talked about his journey of growing up in the spotlight, how we broke out of his childhood acting roles, how we met his wife, and now how he is an amazing father. We talked about the crazy acting audition process and what that's like. How would you feel auditioning for a movie? I feel like I would be scared to death. It's amazing how terrifying it is whether, like I don't think there is anything more terrifying than an audition, right? Which in theory, only a couple people will ever see. Um, maybe it's because you don't have the job yet. So you're like, just please God like me. But I think big or small, you, the approach is the same, the fear is the same, but I will say like, if it's an indie that's like, you're like, meh, I'm taking a swing here or I'm doing a buddy a favor, you certainly, I think like, I'm, I feel more comfortable being like, I'm just gonna say some stuff and if you hate it, cut it out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if it was like Spielberg being like, no, stand on your mark and stop talking. <laughs> well, babe, I have auditioned for shows in a movie and I've actually made a cameo appearance. <laughs> Yes. If you guys haven't seen it, it is really not worth your time. Um, Secret Life of American Teenager. I had a 10-second spotlight. Wow. And those those very short but yet very long 10 seconds were the end of my acting career. Um, you did great, babe. I thought. No, I didn't. You look cute, at least. Um, your goal is to be in a Marvel movie, though. Yes. Do you think that's going to make the highlight reel for your like audition tape? No, I would have to burn it first before Marvel would ever like potentially give me a shot. I agree. <laughs> I think like, you know, when you're an actor and, you know, like someone like me who's kind of like been lucky enough to work a fair amount, but is kind of a journeyman, goes role to role, you know. I, you know, like I've certainly been in movies and while I'm shooting it, I'm like, this is the one, like, this is it, level up. And then it comes out and your part was small enough to where they could cut it out and you're like, oh no. So I try not to hype it until it actually comes out. 
a lot of you may know Josh Peck from the show Drake and Josh. So we had to ask him about his experience with that show and then how he transitioned into future roles. You know, I've, I've been really lucky. I mean, obviously, like, people love Drake and Josh. And I think as a whole, like, that, to know the effect that that show's had on, like, families for a couple generations now, which is so weird to say because I don't feel that old, um, is, is lovely. And, and that was certainly a, a form of me. Uh, we both love magic. I'm a little less neurotic than him. But it was cool because it was sort of just like a heightened version of me. Uh, but, you know, I, I was in this movie, The Wackness, with Ben Kingsley and Mary-Kate Olsen and Method Man, the most random cast ever, and Josh from Drake and Josh. And I played like a drug dealer in New York City in like 1994 at the height of like hip hop. And, um, and you know, it was like a little Sundance movie, but I was super proud of it. He also spoke about how he gets in the character for all the different roles he plays, which was really interesting. You never really think about like, what is that process like having to assume the personality and mannerisms of a whole nother character beside yourself. I think my personality in real life is so strong <laughs> that it's like, I'm literally every time, because like my own thoughts will constantly creep in, like even in the middle of a take, where I'll be like being character, being character, and then an actress will do something and I'll be like, whoa, like I'll, I'll like make some comment in my head and be like, oh, she should be embarrassed or like, it's just, and then I'll be like, get in the scene, get in the scene. So I uh, usually, I haven't, but I, I will say as I get older and I try, you know, and I think you guys who are like, you guys are elite at what you do, right? I, I would say like, if you really love it, the prestige, the money sort of drive that maybe any of us might've had early on, right? Cause that stuff's exciting. But then it just because it becomes, if you're really into this thing that you're passionate about, like, I just want to game it. Like, I just want to become great. And and sometimes I'm, I feel like, wow, that was pretty good. And other times I'm like, why aren't I better after all these years? So I'm constantly like fighting to try to, you know, be more in character and, and elevate. All right, as a kid, I used to love when my parents would sit down and play a game with us or do any activity. And right here in our hands, we have the KiwiCo box, which is the activity of all activities for young kids. The colorful chemistry set, to be specific. So with Drew and Jet and Bear, we try to have really intentional playtime. And that's hard because they're all different ages and kind of in different developmental kind of phases of life. I love with KiwiCo that each month we get boxes specific to their ages and kind of like the activity development phase that they're in. So each box, this one's the colorful chemistry set. Um, this has to do with science, but especially with Bear, it can be really hard with a four month old to know like how to interact with him where he needs to be at four months old. And I love in these crates, they actually have cards that say, here are activities or things you can do specific to Bear that will help him identify colors or whatever it is. I love KiwiCo. There's always something new for kids to discover, like learning about the science of ice cream, engineering robots, or doing science experiments, which our kids have loved yes. recently. Sean is currently holding, as she said, the Colorful Chemistry Kit, which has provided hours of entertainment for our kids. They look forward to their new crate every month, and this one kept them really engaged. We got to experiment with mixing oil and water, mixing different colors and watching how different things react. It was so fun. We basically created our own little chemistry lab with the kids and we could feel their excitement when they got to play around and mix things together. Plus, it barely made a mess. So it was really quick to clean up 
and to use again another day. It can be hard to find creative ways to keep your children engaged, challenged, and off their screens, but KiwiCo does the work for you, so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. Redefine learning with play. Explore projects that build confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month of any crate at KiwiCo.com when you use code COUPLE. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com. Promo code COUPLE. I feel like it would be very difficult to like get into character, especially if you're playing different characters amongst different movies and different roles. And then how do you turn it off? Like when you come home... Do you accidentally act like stay in character? Like, is your wife constantly getting a different man? Also, it would make you want to choose characters of people who have qualities that you want. Yeah. Not, not qualities. Like, you think about, there's all these, like, murder movies. Yeah. And if you're playing the role of a murderer, that's just an interesting place to be. Isn't that something people have talked about, though? Like, the, the actor from The Joker at one point talked about that he got in such, into such a dark place because he acted out such a dark character for so long. Josh also talked to us about the challenges he faced in the acting world and how it can be a pretty difficult job to have. I think like I've always sort of been jealous of athletes, although I'm sure that it, the world in which you live in has its complete own challenges that are specific to what you guys do. But I've always thought at least there's points, right? So you can't debate it, right? And... But with acting, like some people can like you, other people don't, and they're completely entitled to their opinion. And so there's like this subjective thing that can be maddening because you could feel like, I know I just was the best of my ability and it might still not be enough. I also loved hearing his passion and how much he truly loves what he does. I feel like it's very rare, especially in an elite world like that, to see people... Um, who aren't burnt out to love it for so long and continue to find really exciting things about their craft. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are good at th some things, but don't love it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who love some things that they aren't good at, but to find someone who loves something that they also are passionate about is a rare find. I remember hearing all these quotes when I was a kid and thinking they were corny. Like Joaquin Phoenix said, like the magic is between action and cut or Bill Murray would say like, you should be acting for free. What they're paying you for is leaving your family for three months or sitting in a trailer in some godforsaken, you know, weather part of the world where, you know, you're just there and giving up your time. That part you should be compensated for, but you should be doing the acting, acting portion because you love it. And as I get older, I've really found that to be true. Like, I just really like doing it. And I, I it was funny, like, I had this great year last year. I was very lucky to, to work a fair amount. And then this year started and I was like, don't do it, Josh. Don't get rusty. Don't start being impressed with yourself. So I got right back into acting class and I'm sitting there and I'm doing my first scene for that week. And my acting teacher, I finish and she goes, yeah, not, not, not great. And she's like, did you consider this? Or like, you really kind of missed this where it's clear in the script that they're asking you. And I'm like, I'll never figure this out. Like, still, there's more to learn. And there probably always will be. I think my favorite part of this entire interview is seeing Josh light up talking about his son, Max. You can truly tell that of out of everything he's done in his life, being a dad is his favorite thing. 
Kids, in my experience, is the only thing that is not overrated in life. It, it's it. I like grew up my whole, I didn't know that like the thing beyond being an actor was like, I just always wanted to be a dad. And that's so corny to say, but I really, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I feel like his perspective on parenting was awesome as well. Coming from a guy who's accomplished so much, he's like lived out his childhood dream and he's doing all this once in a lifetime things. His favorite thing is to be a dad. And you could tell that that's where he spends most of his effort and most of his energy. I, it was funny. I was talking, I was doing this podcast the other day with my friend, Becca Tobin, and uh, she has this podcast, Lady Gang. And, and we were working on the show together called Turner and Hooch for like eight months. And and she was like, you know, and, and she's a new mom. And, and, and she's like, you know, I found it really inspiring that you would sort of be working all week and then I would look at your Instagram story and you were at like the trampoline park with your kid or, and I was like, as opposed to what? Like having some me time? <laughs> like, like this is joyful for me. I mean, certainly there's moments where your kid is not being the coolest where you're like, oh God, help me. Like I'm creating a monster. But for the most part, I'm just like, it's not that heavy lifting. I, I really enjoy it. We also got to hear how he met his beautiful wife. It's a great story. Uh, my wife and I, we met at a Halloween party 10 years ago. So she was, she was 20 and I was 24. And she says she didn't look at me at the party. I disagree. And <laughs> I just, uh, I made eye contact with her a few times over the night. And I thought she was uh, very pleasant looking. <laughs> and, I, um, and her friend actually, um, shout out Ani, kind of was the, a little bit like, she gave her a little bit of the alley-oop. Like she came over and like just started a conversation with me. And then my wife came over and by the end of the conversation, I, I had uh, had my wife's phone number and yeah, we've been together ever since. It's so funny to hear him talk about the engagement ring because it's so true. This is the one of the only times where it's stressful to actually be prepared. Because if you hold on to the ring too long, it literally burns a hole in your pocket. So this is like September of 2015 and I decide okay I'm doing this I'm in I'm gonna buy the ring and a few events happened in which allowed me to not completely face plant in this experience so first I'm like I know what my wife wants an oval cut diamond because <laughs> she is trendy and <laughs> so and I remember I'm like totally great so I, uh, and I remember I was working with this actress, Paget Brewster, who's like the greatest. She's on Criminal Minds, shout out Criminal Minds. And I remember I said to Paget, we're on set and I'm like, yeah, and, and it's gonna be oval cut. And she kind of looks at me, cause I, I think it was like hot at the time, but not, certainly not timeless. And, and she goes, oh, is that, is that what she wants? Did she say that? And I'm like, yeah, she's mentioned it. Like she, she's hinted. And she, she just was like, I would make sure. <laughs> Cause if she hates it, she'll never tell you, but she'll hate it forever. I thought I was gonna buy a ring and then propose to you like six months later. No. But I bought the ring and then proposed to you two days later. Yes. It's just tough, you know? You I would've so been excited. mad had you waited another six months. Really? I was expecting it. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It was like past due on my timeline. You weren't hurt holding in resentment. Or None you? whatsoever. <laughs> okay. So I uh, I find out that that's not the one. And then 
I'm like, okay, great. I need a ring. I know what she wants now. And then you find out everybody's got a diamond guy. Go to my guy. Go downtown. <laughs> Knock five times and give this password at this random alleyway. And I'm like, yo, son, I, I'm going to get taken. I know it. I'm going to spend like 10 grand on a cubic zirconium. <laughs> like, so I call my brother and my big brother and I was, and he goes, Josh, ask your mother for help. He's like, ask your mother for your help because he's like, remember you're the groom. So like once you propose, it's done. Like it's all in your wife and her family's court. Like let your mom, your Jewish mother help you with this because she'll love you for it. So I call my mom and I'm like, ma, I want to propose to Paige. Here's what I'm thinking about the, um, the ring. What do you think? She's like, I'll call you back. And within an hour, I get a call. She's like, check your email. There's a rendering waiting for you. And she called her boy in Jersey. He like did something up real quick on the design Photoshop tool. We get the, you know, we order the ring. It comes like a month or two later. And then I'm like, okay, but I got to ask her dad for permission. I love too that he actually asked her dad for permission to marry her after he bought the ring, which is like a gutsy move. Well, you know, I feel like if you have a good relationship with the daughter and you respect the dad, then it's a rare scenario where the dad says no. You just should probably not tell the dad like, oh, I already bought the ring. <laughs> Can I also have your permission? It should like I'm be a, at least acted out that it was first. I'm a big fan and believer in proposing the old fashioned way where you like, you ask permission from the dad. I love how Josh did that. You buy it, you know, you go through all the steps and then make it a big surprise. He did that. He did a good job. So I'm like, okay, when's the right time? And like, I'm not, my wife will tell you this. I'm not quick to make any decisions. Like I'm the guy who's like pricing out like toilet paper on Amazon. I'm like, I think it's cheaper at Costco. <laughs> and his proposal story is epic i love hearing how people get engaged and we for sure love josh's story so i you know so now like two or three months have gone by and i know i'm gonna do it but i'm finding out the perfect moment long story short and this sounds cooler than i am i was going to work at paris fashion week for like l'oreal for this brand doing content for them and i was taking my wife and i knew that my wife had some like kitschy aunts who were in her ear going "Ooh, paris pretty romantic, <laughs> might come back with a little friend on your finger. And I'm like, yo, I'm not the one. Like, I am not the one to propose in Paris. I'm gonna lose this ring at the TSA and, or she's gonna find it. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it uh, the morning that we leave. So then we can just go on this trip and have like a fabulous sort of wonderful celebration. So I'm like, gotta talk to her dad night before and my wife like has big family. She's one of four. There's always people in the house. I pull up to the house. Her dad comes out of the garage and goes, Josh, you know where everyone is? Like, uh, you know, I have, nobody's home. And I just go, okay, God. <laughs> like I got, I got the sign. Um, so I walk up and I was like, and her dad's like a total, her dad's a former NFL player. Like, a real man, like just like you, like a, just a dude, <laughs> just a natural alpha. And I'm like, uh, hey, uh, Ken, I, I wanted to ask you something. And he's like, yeah. 
No, he doesn't. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I, uh, I wanted to ask your permission to marry Paige. And, and he goes, oh, wow. Uh, well, if, if you love her and she loves you, then yeah, I think that's great. And I was like, cool, how are you? <laughs> and he's like, I can't do small talk right now. Anyway, longest story ever short, I woke up the next morning, proposed to my wife, and we went to France and had a great time. And this part was really interesting. Josh talked about how being in the public eye has affected their relationship, him and his wife's relationship. You know, I, I just think that there's a cap on how much you can grow by yourself. Um, it's like training for for <laughs> for the best war ever. Like it's you know you can train and you can do the simulation, but until you're like on the ground and living it, you'll never actually be able to know whether or not you are capable. And that's what it is. I mean, from a pragmatic standpoint, like I like how much time I've saved by not like I have friends in their 30s who are like, and God bless Tinder and God bless my friends in their 30s who are still looking for the right one. But I'm like, damn, that's a lot of time to like swipe and then small talk and then meet someone. And it's, it's a lot. And I know I was lucky, you know, here we are on, on couple things. So, you know, we're the lucky ones. I, I was lucky to find someone like, I didn't think like, I, you know, I'm from New York. Um, I, you know, I work in entertainment, like it, it would not at all have been um, odd for me to wait till I was in my 30s or even 40s to get married and have kids. Like certainly I, I think I'm a little bit of an outsider in that, you know, I was, I've been in a serious relationship since I was in my 20s with the same person, but I was lucky. I just found the right person. And I, yeah, I think that I just, you know, my wife forces me to grow in ways that I never expected. And uh, and it makes me a better dude. It sounds like his wife wasn't as much in the public eye, but because he grew up in the spotlight, it created this really interesting dynamic. It kind of reminded me of uh, your and I situation where I was in the public eye so much. <laughs> yes. And then... <laughs> yes. Honestly, my wife is pretty private. Like she really has no uh, like desire. I remember specifically like when I started getting doing well on on social media and whatnot and my wife like got a healthy amount of followers just by being in my videos and stuff a, a couple hundred thousand and and there were opportunities in which for her to like exploit this following you know whether it was like make a little bit of money or just to like she could certainly have leaned in and I think she considered it and then it just she realized that it wasn't for her and, and I, I really respect that and so you know she's she's down to clown in the right moment she'll she'll be out in the public eye like here and there but i think i totally benefit from the fact that like my wife is really into pottery and our kid and like you know she's an artist and and she does like big huge physical art installations and also you know she she just has an affinity for all things that are like creative but she's not in the business so we really um we really have a, a good balance, but I want to ask you, 
the two of you because like my wife comes from a, a sports family and I certainly am not that. So like there's no competition between us because like uh, it's just very clear that like my wife's the one who builds things and also like is the natural talent. But you guys are both athletes. It was also okay. interesting to see the differences between their relationship and ours because they openly say they are not competitive with each other at all. And I I feel like you and I might be. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yes. Yes and no. I feel like it always makes things interesting, but also adds a edge to some things where there doesn't need to be. Yeah, there's always an edge. It's like, ooh, I'm going to win it. <laughs> I'm going to win this argument. You never do, though. You never do. <laughs> I kidding. I also love the story he told about waiting to find out the gender of his son until the day that he was born. And it reminded me of how we did the same thing with Drew. There's nothing like that surprise where you see the birth of your child and with Drew is our first child. And then you don't know what gender it is. And you are standing there, the first one to see if it's a boy or a girl. And like, gosh, we talk about that all the time. It's so special. It's the best. I, I, you know, people who are always like, I don't know how you waited. I'm like, oh, we just did what people have done for the last 2000 years. Like that, that's how. <laughs> um, so, and I remember thinking throughout the nine months, like, oh, we're definitely gonna have a girl because I've done too much musical theater. And there's just like, no way I've got the requisite testosterone to produce a boy. I think it has nothing to do with me. I think it's all my wife, but nevertheless. And, uh, and then when I had my son, I rem remember thinking, oh, of course I had a boy because this is my cosmic comeuppance. Like this is my opportunity to fix a bad feedback loop. Dang, hearing him talk about being enough for his son was really, really humbling. I love how he approaches his role as a father. Sometimes you never get the amends you deserve. Like my dad passed away before we ever met. I'll never get an amends from him. And yet sometimes you give yourself that amends by not sort of passing that trauma to the next generation. And I am, I hope for my son, what I wanted my dad to be for me. And, you know, I remember I was like tripping out about, uh, you know, being enough and not having like a model for a good father when it came to my son. And a buddy of mine was like, you know, being a dad is about reassuring your kid that they're gonna go through life and challenges and they might even get hurt in some instances, but it's important that they do it and that you'll be there to support them no matter what throughout the experience. And I'm pretty sure he was just saying that about riding a bike, but <laughs> I, you know, I like teaching them how to ride a bike, but I, I think that applies to all things. And if that is sort of like one of the most tenets, I was like, well, that I can do, that, that I know how to do. We also talked a lot and bonded a lot over how we both had to live out our awkward like teenage years in the spotlight. And what comes with that is like the criticism of body image and just kind of Hearing how he dealt with it and how he got through it was really, really interesting. You know, I always say that most people go through their awkward teenage years and then they burn their yearbooks and, you know, swear their family to secrecy. But I mean, you and I can totally relate. Like, like my awkward teenage years are in reruns. Like you lived, lived part of that out in, in the public eye and it invites a lot of opinion. And for so long, I wanted to erase my origin story. Um, for so long, I, I had issues with 
that kid who was 300 pounds on television. And I, I talk about it like it's the third person, which is always weird, but I, it's almost like it was a different guy, right? Because here I was and for better or for worse, like I've got so much work to do, but like at 35, like I've been, I've become this fairly disciplined guy. And at 14, I was the antithesis of discipline. And I would like look back at that kid for many years and go like, why were you so out of control? Like, why did you do that to our body? Like, so that it would have lasting effects forever that I couldn't exactly correct 100%. Why did you, you know, influence sort of what people would think about us forever? And it took me like a really long time to like love that kid and realize that like, I was 14 and I wasn't equipped, right? I was dealing with like a lot of life stuff. And so for most people over, you know, indulging in, in food and sweets is like our first foray into kind of like numbing our feelings and and it's easily accessed and it's also like taught to us as kids, like this is a reward, you know, eating sweets is a good thing because it means you did something good or you finished your plate. And um, it's a long-winded way of saying like that, it took me a really long lot time to love that kid and to, um, you know, he was strong in ways that I'll never have to be strong. He didn't have the same tools that I have today in which to deal with things. And, and sometimes people now will ask me for advice on how to get healthy. And I never expected that. It was never my desire, but I feel really lucky to be in that position now to offer any kind of perspective or help. And, and I always want to say like, I know you want to hack because I did too. And like, unfortunately I did it in the age old, eat a little less, work out a little bit more boring way. But what I will tell you is this, is that if you're at a bottom, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you're feeling like uh, hopeless and over it, like congratulations, because it's a very good place to start. I don't envy that about your teenage years at all or Josh's. Like that's such a fragile time period to begin with. And then you add on top millions of people critiquing or joining you on that journey. It's yeah. like, it's just a lot of pressure. And I'll never forget right when we started dating, there was an article that came out about, I think the headline was like Sean Johnson gains 25 pounds or something like that. And I was like, I cannot imagine, cannot imagine. Yeah. But you've dealt with it so well. I'm really impressed with you. Thank you, babe. You know, I never learned anything on a good day. Pain has been the great motivator of my life. And it wasn't until I was like 17 and utterly over it that I was able to finally like switch it up and try it a different way. We also spoke to Josh too about how he found his way out of his dark place. Um, Andrew and I have talked about that with myself, but hearing him and how he kind of fought through that was something that I really related to. Well, the truth is, is I, from 17 to 21, I was like supremely stupid, acting like a total cliche, going to all the clubs, doing all the drugs. And I'm just so glad that there were not camera phones um, back then. I'm really happy. And there was no social media, so I was spared. Um, but I, you know, there's many things. There's the fact that I've always been, I've always been really driven and had passion for this thing that I've done my whole life, which is act. And I didn't want to do anything to, to risk losing that. And I also, you know, I have an incredible mom who like gave me a foundation of like deep love and decency. 
So that was the saving grace. And she also had, you know, faced her own challenges with weight and whatnot. So like I, she, she exposed me to solutions, to 12 step, to therapy, like all these tools to start working on myself. And because she knew that like, despite the fact that she was an awesome mom, like there was only so much she could do because she couldn't be both parents and she couldn't insulate me from every bit of pain. And then I was going through this really odd experience. It's pretty singular of like growing up on television. So I think the saving grace has been like, I've embraced growth. I got sober at 21. I've made that a priority in my life. And, and I've, I've like um, collected apostles, right? I talked about my big brother. He's a big brother from the big brother foundation that my mom got me at eight. And like, he was the best man in my wedding. You know, um, shout out Dan. He lives in South Florida. Don't hold that against him. It's beautiful. <laughs> like, I uh, he's the best. Like, and he's a, a man of value and someone I respect and I model myself after. Or like, I talked about my father-in-law. Like, my father-in-law is like a natural alpha who I deeply respect the way in which he like approaches family and life. And he's pretty stoic. And I just love watching him like. Cause you know, even in their thirties, like my wife and her two sisters and brother, like they'll start getting at each other and kind of like talking shit to, excuse me, but talking crap to each other, like, um, at a family event or whatever. And I'll look over at my father-in-law and he'll just give me a look like, like he doesn't jump in. He doesn't judge. He just lets it play out cause he's comfortable and he knows like, and, and I'm really, I remember I, he said something to me so beneficial when I was doing this show Turner and Hooch last year and it was like for Disney Plus and I was the lead and I had never been the lead of, of a really kind of proper big commercial show like that before. And it's, it really is a leadership role in that sense because you set the tone on set sort of at least as it applies to the actors. And I asked him for some advice because he was a quarterback in the NFL for 10 years or, or probably more than that. And he said, make the success everyone's and make the failures your own. And I just was like, gotcha. So anything like, anytime anything went wrong, that was on me. It was incumbent on me to fix it. Even if somebody else messed up, it was like, well, how do I help in making this better? And then if there was a big win, it was like, share it with everyone. Let everyone feel like they were a part of this win. And uh, yeah, it's, it's things like that that have been so beneficial. I love how he was so intentional about bettering himself. Um, and he also told us about how he and his wife handle conflict together. Oh man, I mean, my wife's just really good at tell, like at making me shut up. <laughs> I'm always like, we gotta talk this out. She's like, no, we don't. I'm like, we don't? <laughs> She's like, you're probably gonna make it worse. I'm like, I am? <laughs> and like, and yeah like and i i come from my you know i had a single mom and it was just me so we talked everything out ad nauseum and her thing is like she comes from like this big healthy family where no one leaves like that's that's the thing like we can be mad at each other we can be imperfect we can even go to bed mad but i'm not going anywhere so because family doesn't leave so whether we figure this out now or in two days from now 
it's okay because like I'm here no matter what. And that was something I had to learn because I didn't have that framework. Hearing him talk about pet peeves was really <laughs> funny. I mean, I could go on and list all of my pet peeves with you, but there aren't any. Oh, wow. I was going to say the same thing, babe. You're such a perfect little Yeah, angel. you're perfect. You're perfect. So, okay. You're perfect. Don't touch me. You're perfect. <laughs> okay, so like my wife hates the way I chew. <laughs> I, th I think she's misophonia, whatever. Um, I get annoyed with my wife because she talks in a low volume and she says I need a hearing aid. And I'm like, um, that hurts my feelings. I'm 35. When I ask my wife to like, what? I couldn't hear you. She'll, she'll say it again in the exact same volume. And I'll be like, I'm like, let's have a rule. If I say what? Shout it. <laughs> like... Shout it, because I can't hear you. All right, this part was awesome. Uh, Josh actually recently released a book, as we told you in the beginning. It's called Happy People Are Annoying. This is it right here. There's our buddy, Josh Peck. I wrote a book. It's the most millennial thing I could ever do, write a memoir at 35. Who does that? And he shared some insight into the thought that he put behind the book and why he wanted to write it. I wrote a proposal for this book, and the idea was, and I didn't know that the book would live up to the title instead of like having a title and then writing a book around it. But I, you know, I, I, I spent most of my life assuming that happy people or what I thought were happy people, they were sort of born into it. It was inherited. Like happy people are attractive people or people with generational wealth or, or football players or just like people who are elite. And I just am not a part of that class. Like, I woke, I, I was born feeling uniquely different. Now, there was some data to support that, the single mom thing, the, you know, I, the, the 10 year old who's into musical theater instead of baseball, like, I certainly like felt very different, but I just didn't think that I had the same manual to get through life that everyone else was sort of issued at birth. And this book is about walking through these challenges through my life and every time being rewarded with a little bit of that thing that I've been searching for, a little bit of that reprieve, a little bit of that sort of joy that, that I would see in other people and think, how do I get there? Like no one, no one is explaining this to me. Like happiness seemed like a bumper sticker. Like it looks great, but I need a, I'm gonna need a map. And this book is kind of the map of how I got there. It's a reluctant memoir and I think for me, like the best advice has been from people who are on the same rock wall, just a few feet above me and them sort of like calling out, like, try this hold, it feels pretty good. Or I'd skip that one. It really doesn't feel great. It's the people who are sort of like beckoning orders to me from the top of the mountain as they're like sipping Gatorade and getting their breath where I'm like, dude, you can't relate. <laughs> you don't get me. But the guy who's a few feet ahead, I'm like, ah, he, he knows my pain. He knows my struggles. So I hope people feel that I'm just sort of like a fellow traveler, trudger, sort of giving a little bit of feedback from someone who's maybe a couple steps ahead. What I come to discover at the end of the book is like, first of all, I think happiness is overrated. Secondly, I think it's like this transient temporary thing. Like this idea that we need to be happy all the time is ridiculous. And as sure, here's what I know for sure at 35. As sure as the good times are coming, the bad times are coming too, because the universe demands balance. And too much sunshine brings about a desert. 
So it's more about being content for me in the middle and enjoying the good times when they're here and trying not to despair when life throws you a curveball because it inevitably always will. Me doing YouTube or any social media, like I said, like pain has been the great motivator. Like if I was Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know if I ever would have like been like, you know what, I should try TikTok. But I, I was in a, a down point in my career. I just wasn't working a lot. And I found this other sort of um, outlet that allowed me to go straight to the audience that wasn't sort of like where I had to go through the gatekeepers and impress a casting director who, who then would pitch me to a producer who then had to produce, pitch me to a studio executive. It was, it was maddening at times. And certainly there were moments where social media was going well, was where I was like, oh, is this, is this it for me now? Like, do I give up the thing that I started doing when I was 13? So it's like, it, it is the beautiful byproduct of walking through that pain and fear something like what I have on YouTube and social media, but certainly in the, there were moments going through it, or even when I started YouTube and for the first year, like no one was watching and I'm like, oh word, like no one's watching me even on YouTube. <laughs> but you know, it was facing that ego and that like voice in my head that, that constantly wants me to feel in fear that gave me a little bit of, of what you were saying that, that you like what I do. So yeah. Thank you. We're big fans of Josh. We're big fans of this book. And if you want to learn more about Josh and what he's up to, including where you can find the book, we'll link all that down below. But Josh, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. I'm so impressed with how reflective he's been on the experiences of his life. Again, probably our favorite interview we've done. Josh Peck, thank you. I hope we stay friends. I hope we stay in contact. And next time you're in Nashville, let us know. We literally ended that interview and we were like that was the best conversation we've had in a long time so thank you and also if you like this new format let us know um if you made it this far please subscribe and give the show a rating and that's all we got we will see you next week i'm andrew i'm sean we're the east fam out all right real quick for all of those listening out there we don't ask for a lot of favors i don't think babe do we no but we're going to ask you a favor today, all right? If you're listening to Couple Things Podcasts on Apple Podcasts specifically, will you please do us this short, quick favor? We want to make sure you're staying up to date with our show, and Apple's latest iOS update has paused downloads for many listeners, and some of you have expressed our latest episodes aren't being recommended to you on Apple Podcasts anymore. So here's how to make sure you're getting your episode. And again, this is for Apple Podcasts specifically. Open up that podcast app on your iPhone. Search Couple Things and tap Our Shows icon. And then in the top right corner, you might see a plus follow symbol. If you do, tap it to resume following the show. If you get a prompt to, quote, turn on automatic downloads, say yes. That way... You'll get all of the episodes. Thank you so much, guys. We're so glad this update was brought to our attention because we want to make sure we're reaching as many of you as we can. Love y'all, and we really appreciate you doing this.